Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Elijah Fire, episode 383. Today is Wednesday, February 7th. One week, one week until Valentine's Day. And you know, I'm excited. I'm excited. Lauren and I always go do something fun. And um, so I got plans, you guys. And I'm not going to divulge said plans here because she might hear what they are. Although she doesn't know we're going out to dinner. Uh, there's a dinner theater here in town and they do a, like a four course seated meal and you watch a movie and they've been doing it for quite a few years. Uh, and so we started the first time we ever did it was our first year of marriage, which was, which was, let's see, that would have been 2012 would have been the time that we went, but anyway, super fun. Um, I'm excited. I love, love everybody. It's great. I'm excited. Please make sure to follow Elijah for our podcast on Spotify and Apple podcast or one or the other. If you don't want to do both, you don't have, I won't twist your arm, but one would be, one would suffice. And please make sure to rate us there. Uh, you guys have been super generous with that. Lots of fours and fives and we really appreciate that. So uh, please do that. That really helps us out. Also guys, we ask that you prayerfully consider uh, supporting us at Elijah Streams, ElijahStreams.com slash donate. And that allows us to keep doing this. And we so appreciate those donations. You guys have been super generous. Uh, but we don't stop there. Um, th- your donations here impact people around the world who are in need of fresh, clean water. We've partnered with Show Mercy International, who are leading a outreach or a, a, a trip there right now. It started this week and it's going into next week. Steve and Doreen are going to be joining them next week. So I can't wait to hear about all those testimonies. Uh, but that's where they are right now. So be, please be praying for them. Um, but everybody's getting to see the fruits of in many ways, their own labor. A lot of these people that are going support the ministry. And uh, so it's amazing, you guys. Uh, But we're going to play a quick video and then we're going to get going. We want to share with you what your donations are doing. This is Florence's story. Initially, the leader of the village wanted a water source because he saw the need in the community. And when he reached out to us, she was one of the places that we visited her area and when we checked the place, there was no water that you could be able to drill a water source, a water well. And so she believed that the water well will be in this area. But with the surveyors, after checking everything, like there was no way. And she said, no, that water well is going to be in this place. So she took a step of faith and she was listening to a pastor. And as the pastor was sharing, he mentioned something and said, if there is something that the enemy has taken away from you, it is a point to claim it back. And so she decided to hold the dirt from the ground and claimed the water well in that exact spot. After the surveyors had moved around the whole village and the Show Mercy team, they definitely came back to the exact same spot. And that is what the Lord does. She took a step of faith, and now the community is being blessed by the water well that is in this area. Lives are being changed. A number of people have given their lives to Christ exactly at this spot. She is a living like testimony. The water source is just exactly in the town center and everyone can come and drink from this very source. Clean, safe, and also receive Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. (laughs) So thank you so much. Together, we can continue to bring clean water to those in need. Donate today at ElijahStreams.com slash donate. Thank you guys again so much for those donations. 
We so appreciate it. And we're going to continue showing you guys those update videos as we get them from the team over in Uganda. Um, just as a thank you to you guys and showing the fruit of your labors as well. So uh, I have one more announcement before we get the ball rolling on an episode I am very excited for. Uh, we, on Saturday, February 10th, we are going to be releasing our next teaching series that we've done. We're converting them into podcast form, trying to catch up on that end before we embark on doing teaching series on the regular again. Um, we are dropping Ivanatia's Intimacy with Christ teaching series, which is a four-part one where she went through the Song of Solomon, which, uh, you know, I've been very open. I was open during that teaching series. It was probably one of my least favorite books because it made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but it absolutely blew my mind. And I'm not using hyperbole. Um, it really did. Uh, my perspective on that book in real time, people got to see me continually just being like, whoa, I had no idea, like the depth of this book. Um, and she really has an anointing to teach on it. So guys, I know you're going to, if you have not checked it out or if you have, it's worth checking out again. So all four episodes are going to drop on Saturday. Uh, and my, like I said, my perspective on that book is completely changed because of Yvonne's teaching on it and really peeling back the veil on the true meaning and the symbolism behind it and the parallels with other parts of scripture. So it's going to, it's a real treat you guys. And we got tons of feedback on that one. I would say when we did it for the rest of the year, I kept hearing people like, yo, the intimacy with Christ series, that was wild. You know? So uh, it's, it, I know you guys, if you haven't seen it really, really going to be blessed by it. So those, all four of those episodes dropped this come upcoming Saturday on the 10th. So be looking for that wherever you guys listen to podcasts. All right. Um, I don't think I have anything else. My guest today, she is a woman of many talents and accomplishments beyond being a wife and a mother, which are the most important. Um, but uh, she's also uh, written a new book, which is incredibly good. I actually just finished it today. It is Feminist to Feminine. We're going to be talking all about it. A link is in the description to purchase this book. It is worth your time especially as women, but even men, I gained a lot out of it, gained a lot of perspective out of it. So we're going to be talking about, I made five pages of notes. So we're going to be talking, uh, but without any further ado, let's give it up for our guest today, Justice Enlow Keel. Justice! Hey, I'm so excited to be back and finally Absolutely. with my book finished. I know, we've been hearing about it for quite some time. And it is uh, very exciting. I actually, we've, I've been hearing about it so long. I actually, full disclosure, forgot you were writing it. And then I was talking to Chris and he said, oh yeah, she's finishing up her book. And I was like, oh yeah, her book, you know? So uh, I felt the same way. Yeah. <laughs> like, what I was I like, doing? when is it going to be out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly though, Justice, like this book is incredibly well-written um, you. and you know, I also listened to the audio book and you're incredibly well-spoken in it and, um, really well-researched and, uh, you come at it from just a, a really heartfelt position, just this transition from feminist ideology to, I guess, biblical feminine ideology. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you just, you explain it in such a really fantastic way. So well done. Uh, I just found you. myself smiling, you know, while I was listening to it. I'm like, go just like, this is Thank great. You. Yeah. Yeah. So what has it been like, I guess, like on the, on the other side of writing this, how does it, how does it feel? And what has the feedback been? 
The feedback has been great, which is really encouraging because I think naturally when you're doing something vulnerable, like pouring your heart into a book that then just random people are going to pick up. <laughs> it's so vulnerable. Um, yeah. There's a lot of fear that can come with that. And that did come with that for me of just like, you know, one day I was driving and all this and I was like, what if this is like the biggest fail of your life? And I was like, that's not a thought that I want to <laughs> dwell on right now. Um, just w- hoping and trusting that the Lord like spoke through me because mm-hmm. that's really all I want. I don't want to just put more opinions out into the world. Like that's the last thing we need. I think yeah. what we need more of is like encounters with the Holy Spirit and with God speaking into our identity as men, as women, as whatever, as children of God, you know? Um, and so that was really my desire was like, okay, God, I just, I want people to have an encounter with you through this and anything of me that gets in the way. Like, I just, I hope that that is, you know, that the Holy Spirit will supernaturally sort of diminish that noise. Um, and so that's, that's, there's a lot of like trusting God with that because I have to believe that he's big enough to do that. That too big, big enough to cover for my mistakes, my imperfections, my humanity, and um, so yeah, that that's been difficult, not not hugely difficult, but it's been a process of, of letting course. go. Yeah. Uh, so since it came out, it's been really great hearing people like, "Oh my gosh, this! I'm crying re- reading this. This is resonating with me." And I'm like, "Okay, that's that. That's yeah. it. That's like that's what I wanted. That's what we were looking for." Yeah, that's the that's that's the sweet spot. Yes, okay, I just yeah, totally. I, I froze for a second. My camera, I just saw myself. I was like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> right. It's like, you know, anyways. Um, no, I um, that is definitely the sweet spot, though. It's like, you know, the tears, people actually having the encounter, um, yeah. you know, maybe being convicted, maybe even being seen. You know, I think that there's a lot yeah. of people that find themselves in a similar boat that you have now found yourself in, yeah, that maybe felt alone because maybe all their other girlfriends yeah. were you know i don't know riding the feminist wave I don't rocking know how, the how feminist you... wave yeah, yeah seriously yeah yeah I, I mean i felt that for many many years um honestly i've had a similar experience of through the process of writing this feeling like i think i'm the only person who thinks this <laughs> uh apart from a couple people online and not really knowing if anybody like that i was actually interacting with in real life thought the same thing mm-hmm. um it's just mm-hmm. such a countercultural idea to try to i call it um removing your dismantling your like what is it oh i can't wow i can't remember i can't on a phrase in my book that i use yeah. but basically it's it's getting rid of this little feminist that sits on your shoulder and tells you you know you should view the world through this, this, you know, essentially it creates a feminist lens that you view the world through. And if you're not intentionally dismantling that, um, you're going to view the world through a feminist lens if you've grown up in in a Westernized country. And so I, I kind of went at it from an expectation that everyone is affected by this, whether they know it or not. And that felt very lonely for a while. Mm -hmm. And so part of what's been really exciting also is people have been reading it first. I had, a small group of my friends read it um, for endorsements. And that was really scary. Uh, and then to hear them respond really positively to it, I was like, okay, mm. so at least I've got like these five people. Yeah. And now that it's been out mm-hmm. for, uh, I think it's been close to two weeks now it's been out. 
it's been so wonderful, like hearing other women like, oh my gosh, I didn't think I was a feminist, but I was, but now mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been just really, really amazing and encouraging and beyond my expectation. Um, I definitely went into this like ready to not defend myself in a, in a negative sense, but to defend kind of the truth uh, that I feel like the Lord has put in my heart to steward and protect, I suppose. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, though, Justice, like feeling alone <laughs> is something that kind of goes with the territory if you are being a forerunner in something. And in many yeah. ways, a lot of the ideas you're presenting, while not new per se, have been yeah. abandoned. And I think that yes. there is this nature of being a forerunner in that process of acknowledging, hey guys, we've swung from one end of the pendulum all the way to the other side. And maybe we should think about how this is affecting ourselves. Yeah. Yes, but also men. And I think that you do address some of that in the book too, of how men are, um, and we can get to that a little bit later because I had some thought yeah. on it too. Um, just from my own experience with some of my girlfriends, you know, yeah, uh, growing up. So, um, but yeah, it's, it, there is that nature of feeling alone though, when you are a forerunner. And I think that, you know, it's undeniable that culture, especially Western culture, it's kind of gone to this, like, kind of like, they're kind of on the brink, you know, uh, they're, they're way out there, you know, a lot of these ideals yeah. and it's like, it's kind of turned into, we must put down men in order to lift up women. Um, but I would argue that that's actually not yeah, no. healthy Very, in the slightest. The opposite of helpful yeah. <laughs> for us as women. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah. we're down. Let's pull everyone else down with us. That's great. That's going to fix everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you talk about a little bit, dive a little bit more into like the why behind why you wrote this. And we can even talk a little bit more about your process where it wasn't necessarily like, if I'm understanding correctly from the book, because you do talk about this process of kind of coming to the place where you're at now. It wasn't this like you woke up one morning and all of a sudden you're like, okay, no longer a feminist. Uh, it was this. Gradual- there was a day when I realized it. Okay. Yeah. But it, but it was gradual. Yeah. It was just one day I went, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> this I'm is one not of them. popular. <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So a fun little backstory that I haven't. I don't know if I've shared this yet. I kind of like hinted at it um, on Monday on a live stream. So I was there for a second with my dad, yeah. which was one. Um, so I was. Miss Tennessee USA 2020. I was the longest reigning Miss Tennessee, which was really fun and really intense. And um, that was because of COVID. When I was giving up my crown, a lot of the contestants will bring gifts for all of the other contestants. And so there was a contestant um, and she brought these books for everybody. And I don't, I don't even know if I met this girl because there were so many girls competing. Um, and it was so sweet. She brought these books for everybody, but the book was this feminist ideology propaganda. I mean, okay. I mean tr- <laughs> truly propaganda in its purest form. And it was really, really fun and colorful. And it was, you know, the cover had all these beautiful illustrations and inside had, you know, pages that you could like tear out and journaling pages and, like different statistics and fun facts. And I remember thinking like, this is such a fun book. And it is such a shame that this is the message that it's sharing. And many of the pages were 
telling these young girls, and this specific girl was a teen contestant, so she was young. Um, this wasn't just like Miss, you know, young 20s. This was young teenage girls. Um, it was specifically helping them view how they were being oppressed because of being women. And so it had these prompts in it where it'd be like, now that you understand what, you know, microaggressions are, where do you see people being doing these things to you in your life? Where yeah. have you seen men sexualizing you in your life? Where it was just like totally mainlining victimhood. And I thought like, this is so sad. This is what young girls have now sitting in their bedroom or on their coffee table, like just this victimized mindset. And so my original intention was not to write a book. It was just to like recreate this coffee table book, uh, but from like an empowered biblical womanhood perspective. And so I was originally thinking for younger girls, I was originally thinking of doing something very similar, like super colorful. It's not like a sit down and read book. It's more like you pick it up and flip to a random page and it's kind of fun. And so that's what I started with. And I had written maybe one day. Yeah, maybe, maybe someday. Uh, maybe we'll, AI will do it. You never know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, so I, uh, I had mapped it all out, like mm -hmm. how I was going to do it. And, um, I'm signed to a literary agency and basically they do the legwork of um, publishing, but without being the publisher. So restore yeah. seven, my parents, Johnny Elizabeth and Lewis, their ministry, they are my publisher, but uh, my literary agent, you know, they are the ones who had to kind of like see if they believed in this project or not. And they saw it and they were like, this is awesome, but we want you to write a book. And I was like, I, I don't think I can write a book. Like that seems really intimidating. Pass. Pass. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was very intimidated by that. So mm -hmm. um, my mom actually came over one weekend, just spent the weekend with me and helped me make the outline for my book. And I just went from there. And um, so my motivation really originally was just, you know, I want something that young women can feel like is fun and beautiful and feminine, but is giving them truth instead mm -hmm. of like straight propaganda that makes them feel like, okay, there's nothing I can do except be a feminist, like, which is not, not actually doing anything um, to make the world a better place for myself. Mm -hmm. And, and I just wanted something that was like actually empowering. Uh, and then through that process, I realized like I, there were things, I, I started to see the pieces that God had been putting together over the years. Um, and so I talk a lot in the book. This is kind of the other question you're asking what was that process like for me of going from being pretty radical feminist in many ways um, to now being what I would consider an anti-feminist? Um, that that process for me kind of was a convergence of a few different things in my life. One is I had been suffering from endometriosis for a decade and um, didn't know that I had it, just like mm. was having all of these weird things going on, weird pain, and yeah. ended up you being hospitalized it. a couple times. Yeah, it sounds pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's awful. Um, yeah. I'll just say that I have, I've had a baby now. I had my son at home birth a year ago on Sunday, actually. And so completely unmedicated. And I can say that endometriosis feels like labor. Um, Whoa. And I was having that happen almost every single month. Oh, my god. So yeah. it was, it was real. it was really, really intense. I always wondered, I was like, I can't imagine a worse pain than this. Yeah. Maybe like having a please, baby would be worse. Please tell then. me childbirth isn't as painful as this no. or more painful. Yeah. 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 It was almost exactly the same outside okay. of 
pushing, which is a whole other, that not, not a fun time. Don't yeah. recommend, but you have to do it. Okay. You got to do it. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Yeah. Uh, I got to do it to have the baby. <laughs> but um, yeah, so having that health struggle for all those years um, and never hearing the feminist movement talk about it, not once. Um, so that was like a little, I call it like a chink in my armor, my feminist Mm -hmm. armor kind of, because I really was touting all of the feminist slogans, you know, smash the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And, um, when women rise, we all rise and, you know, all the little sayings, the future is female. Um, and I was like, okay, but what about like those of us with endometriosis and we can't have corporate jobs. We actually literally can't because we are barely surviving, and, um, so I, I started having these thoughts, but I, you know, I was like, okay, maybe there's some version of feminism that's still good. Um, and around this time, I also started competing in pageants. And so I was, uh, you know, working with lots of other women and they're all doing their different like passion projects and pretty much everybody I met in, um, the pageant world were feminists They consider themselves feminists and, yeah. um, very far leftist ideologies that they embrace. And so, you know, it was very much like the culture that was around me. I was living in Los Angeles, competing in pageants with other feminists. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I know I'm how, in my early twenties. Yeah. I know how Southern California can be. My wife and I used to live down there. So yeah. Well, okay. So you, yeah, you totally I, I know the vibe. I know the vibe. Yes. Down there. Yeah. And, and there's, uh, I don't want to just, um, you know, demonize people who have, those political mm-hmm. perspectives, because I think so much of it comes from a combination of compassion and personal pain. Yeah. Um, that was the case for me, but there, but it's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I had a, a particular endometriosis flare in the middle of a pageant once, and I talk about the story in the book. But I was on stage, and I I had been starting to feel very very unwell while I was preparing. Um, getting my makeup on, getting ready to go on stage. And I was mm-hmm. like, I've been working on this for months. I'm going to compete. I've Not paid today. too much money. <laughs> yeah, it was very much like like a cartoon moment of just yeah. like, you know, crawling along. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get mm-hmm. on the stage and I say my name. And as soon as I walk off the stage, I just collapse. And I remember thinking, I think I'm going to die because I'm in so much pain and Whoa. I, I need to do something. And my mom was right there and she's like, we're going to the hospital now. Cause I've been telling everybody, just let me do this. <laughs> just let mm-hmm. me do this. Finally. I was like, okay. So I went to the hospital. They admitted me for three days. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They kept thinking, Oh, we found it. It's your appendix. And it wasn't my appendix. So they, this is it's undiagnosed know. at this point. The endometriosis is under undiagnosed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's undiagnosed at this point. Um, so I didn't know what was happening. I, but I'm having all this pain regularly now. Um, yeah. I finally had figured out that it had to do with my hormones, my cycle. And so I was like, okay, there's something here. Uh, but I, I didn't know. And the doctors gave me zero clues. Um, and so I ended up having to just go home and research for myself. And so this started happening every single month. So I, I figured out, I was like, okay, it clearly has to do with hormones. So I diagnose myself with endometriosis. I don't recommend, you know, people just 
diagnosing themselves with things willy-nilly, but yeah, because nobody else is doing the, it. There's a stigma behind going and trying to diagnose stuff online. It always turns into cancer. <laughs> yes. Thankfully this time, uh, that's yeah. not what was going on. Yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I figured out that wasn't the case early mm -hmm. on, but mm -hmm. I, um, I, and then I was just kind of hopeless because I am, everything I'm seeing online is if you have endometriosis, there's no cure. Uh, there's nothing that you can do. And um, I had a doctor just give me, you know, pain pills, like narcotic pain pills. And so I was having to live on those a week out of every month. And I just thought, this is not, this is not the plan God had for my life. Like, this is not, I just, yeah. And then I kept thinking about other people and I'm like, why are feminists not talking about this? Mm -hmm. And I found out that, you know, at the time, the statistic was 10% of women were struggling with endometriosis. Um, now it, there are many who think it's closer to 50% of women. 50. Close. Yeah. And so, and, and the pain is going to be different for every person. Jeez. The symptoms are going to be different for every person, but it is very, very painful and very debilitating no matter like oh how bad it is. And so I was just thinking, how can something that is affecting at least 10% of women, maybe 50, and it's the number one cause of infertility in women. Um, how is this not like issue number one for feminists. And instead, right. all that I heard the feminist movement talking about was abortion on demand over mm -hmm. and over again. This is the issue, abortion on mm -hmm. demand, abortion on the demand. And then starting to talk about the trans issue and saying, you know, we're going to start using gender neutral terms to talk about ourselves as women so that trans women can feel included. And I was thinking, this doesn't make any sense. Right. If we have issues that are going on that are specific female struggles. This is what we should be talking about. Not like everything else that they're talking about, which was really just political propaganda talking points. Um, and so those were like some of the big issues. And as I got further into pageantry and I realized that these women who were, you know, really supporting the feminist movement, mm -hmm. as soon as I started going off of the, the feminist talking points, they did not support me. They did not want me to succeed. They didn't want me to be a, uh, there any, anything it was it was all a facade it was like oh when all women when one woman rise we all rise mm -hmm. like, unless unless you have the views of you <laughs> unless we um, disagree with you in which case yes yeah, exactly and so i started realizing this you know it took me years it took me um a, it was a slow process of realizing and so like i, I started saying i'm reclaiming feminism i'm going to reclaim it because today's feminism is not giving space for women who want to be mothers. In fact, by saying that abortion is the number one issue, you're actually telling me that my motherhood is like standing between me and being a, like a really successful woman. Mm -hmm. Because if abortion yeah. is that important, then we really must not value my ability to have a child. Um, and the fact that maybe I can't even have a baby because I have endometriosis and I want to someday, but nobody's talking about that. And so there, I started just seeing these little inconsistencies, but I wasn't ready to just say that I wasn't a feminist. I, I was still like, I'm going to reclaim feminism. So when I was Miss Tennessee, that was my tagline. It was reclaiming modern feminism. And I talked a lot about like, I want all women to feel championed. I want women who are not breaking stereotypes, women who are the most stereotypical female on earth. I want them to still feel like, their passion and their um, desires and their heart matters. And I realized after a while um, that the feminist movement really was not interested in that. And there's some like niche, there, there are all these subgroups of feminism now. 
that yeah. there's probably one that I fit within. Um, but there's just, always going to be an exception that, you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah. To not every single one of a group of people is going to be this cold, heartless, yeah. I don't care about bearing children. I don't, you know, like there will be some that do, you know? Yeah. And in fact, I think that most likely most women are not, when they consider themselves feminists, they're not um, realizing like all of the baggage that comes along with the feminist movement. And that's really why I decided to like disavow the movement as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. Once I started studying the history of the feminist movement and mm-hmm. some of the horrible things that all of the founding women of feminism believed, I was like, I want nothing to do with this movement. And in fact, mm-hmm. I actually don't need a movement, a political movement to empower me because I have my identity as a daughter of God. Like that's the most empowering thing in the world. And so I don't need a movement. I don't need that. Like, thankfully our, you know, if, if our government didn't protect us the same as women, then maybe we would need a movement politically, mm-hmm. but we have all the same rights now as men under the law. We have the same protections. Um, and then some, because we've had these affirmative action programs that have actually given women advantages in many cases. Mm-hmm. And so if anything, we're like a little reverse now. Um, so we really, there's no like political thing that we're needing to fight for. There's no legislative thing we're needing to fight for in order to have equality. And so everything else is like, wow, I need to just get my empowerment from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I accepted that, I feel so much peace inside and <laughs> so much, there was like this rat race of like, I've got to prove myself and I've got to prove that women can do whatever men can do. And I've got mm-hmm. to prove just, it, it, it was this thing of, I have to prove, I have to prove something. And yeah. when I, rem- when I removed myself from the feminist movement, I, I just felt so much peace in knowing like, I actually don't have to prove anything. Like yeah. I don't. All I, I don't owe the world anything. I just owe the Lord, like my surrender and that's it. And like, he'll use that, but there's right. no striving. Yeah. And I think too, <laughs> by default of you being a woman and me being a man, we're going to be able to do things that that one or the other can't do, you know? And, and it's been interesting that you're talking about of like this, getting caught in this rat race and feeling this pressure. Like you have to show that you can do everything a man can do. And in many ways, it's I can do everything a man can do and more uh, because yeah. if you're going, if you're trying to push to do everything a man can do, you always have the one up of, I also can bear children and you can't, yeah. you know? And so it's like, there's <laughs> always, I always see people kind of just like, it always ends up in that place. But it was interesting because I was listening to, I don't know, just a couple of years ago, there was a movie, Captain Marvel came out. Brie Larson was the, the lead in it. She was very outspoken yeah. about, you know, yeah. <laughs> her, you know, all the you know, things, you know, uh, and, um, and her personal trainer, who was a man, he gave this really strange argument and he was like, you know, uh, pound for pound women are actually stronger than men. So this whole, it's a lie that men are stronger than women. And I was like, yeah, but I guarantee you that I would still, I know it seems elementary, but I'm going somewhere with this. If I were to do an arm wrestling match with her, I guarantee you I would still win. Obviously, I work out as well. But um, and I said, with that logic, we should be saying that ants are stronger than all of us, you know, because they, yeah. are, they you know, and I, to me, it was just like a silly argument. But this is kind of like where people work themselves into to try and show and prove that women are better. And 
I mean, you can see there's a lot of root and it can be in pain, but you also said it can be in compassion. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I often say that a lot of leftist ideologies are compassion gone mad. Um, yeah. You know, where it's yeah. like you take these compassionate things and that's where I can really empathize with a lot of people that believe in these things. Cause I'm like, I yeah. get it. I get it. I really yeah. do that compassionate side of myself really identifies, yeah. you know, with or at least can understand Totally. But it's yeah, but it is interesting this this move within our society to try and prove yes, women you're 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 just as strong. And you know what, as a matter of fact, you're actually better than men and for a lot of other reasons. So it's just interesting to see that. Yeah. And a, a couple of things that I think of with that. One is um you know, over and over again in scripture, it says that God chooses the weak and the foolish things. That's those are the people that he chooses. Are those who are weak and in, and we can boast in our weakness because he's strong in our weakness. And when I was researching for my book, I actually found this teaching from um, one of, I think it was George Fox's wife and he was a Quaker and um, back when the Quakers were like super awesome in the 1600s <laughs> and they were called Quakers because they would quake under the power of the Holy spirit. And oh, wow. They were some of the first abolitionists. They were some of the first to champion women's rights and rights of the poor and these different things because they were really like living out scripture in a really beautiful way mm -hmm. um, that a lot of the people around them who were believers were not living out because they were stuck in Puritanism or um, weird strands of Catholicism, different things. And so one of the things, this was this whole message that this his wife, I believe, I can't remember her name. This is again, great. My mom brain is like in full mode right now. Mrs. Um, Quaker. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Yeah. Quaker Oates. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> she uh, wrote this beautiful paper about like how God, like the, the Bible tells us that we're the Bible tells us we're the weaker vessel. And then she says, but then God chooses to over and over again, speak through scripture and say that he chooses the weak things um, to show his strength through. And so, that's beautiful. Like we should be rejoicing in the fact that we are weaker in some ways as women, because it's an, it's more opportunity for the Lord to be our strength through us. And so that's so cool. Like there's just different ways of framing things um, that, that is so helpful if we're not looking through a feminist worldview. So when I would read that, that scripture before as a feminist, I was like, well, that's like Paul's perspective on what God told him. It's not like the word of God. And then <laughs> I realized like that's so off base. And when I mm -hmm. realize when I'm looking for empowerment versus looking for feminism in scripture, it's you see scripture very, very differently when I'm reading scripture and I'm like, God, from the very beginning of scripture says that I, as a woman am created in his image. And I'm looking for his image through women in scripture throughout. And I'm understanding that it looks different than mm -hmm. it looks different for me to image God than it looks for a man to image God. Um, so I'm looking for it to be different, but not any less important because why would he like, like I am, I'm an image bearer just as much as you are and vice versa. You know, the other thing is um, feminism is so interesting because like as a, as a Christian, we are called to humble ourselves we're called to live in humility we're called to become servants of if we want to be a leader we're called to become a servant like jesus became a servant and washed the feet of his disciples as the literal king of the universe and so as a wife and as a daughter and as a mother i am looking for opportunities now 
um, very imperfectly, but I'm looking for opportunities to do that with men in my life, to do it with my husband, to do mm-hmm. it with my dad, to do it with mm-hmm. my father-in-law, my grandfather. How can I, as a woman, use the feminine skills and heart that God has given me to make the men in my life feel treasured, make them feel um, strong, make them feel like valued as leaders. And what's so cool is that the times when I have felt the most like treasured, the most cherished as a daughter, as a wife, as a sister, all those things is when I'm doing that. It elicits something. From interesting, the Justice. Yeah. Interesting. It, it's, it's very, very interesting. And so it, it elicits something from the hearts of the men in my life that answers like the very thing that my heart is needing. And so it's, and to me, that is like, so a picture of what we see in scripture over and over again. It's things are, um, so the opposite of what culture tells us. It seemed uh, counterintuitive actually. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, feminism and culture is telling us as women that we've got to prove ourselves. We've got to make sure that we defend ourselves. We've got to make sure that our image isn't hurt. We've got to make sure nobody thinks down on us because we are women and actually, like God asks asks us to humble ourselves over and over again, mm-hmm. and you know, for me, the only way I'm able to do that because I'm a human being who gets offended by things like any other human being, the only way I'm able to do that is is by knowing my identity and and hearing God speak it over me. Like mm-hmm. when Chris says something that's insensitive, Chris, my husband, um, as guys I, do, yeah, I, when we don't mean to, I, I do yeah. the same thing. You know, um, when he does that, like. I have a choice in that moment, um, being sassy and, you know, defending myself and cause he's wrong. He's wrong to say whatever rude thing he's saying, or I have an opportunity to like pause and let the Holy spirit speak the truth to me. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, that yeah. what he just said, is not true. That's not how yeah. I see you and yeah. just love him right now. And yeah. it, it is literally only by the power of the Holy spirit that I can like respond in a way that is humble and loving and all of those things. And so leaving feminism and like walking in your identity as a daughter of God is not easy. It, it's it's not easy at all because you, you're still having these human desires to defend yourself, these human desires to snap back and be sassy and all those mm-hmm. things. But it is a, a humbling of yourself. And then you feel so empowered because you're, you go, oh, how that person just responded to me has nothing to do with me. And uh, this is an opportunity for me to like get truth from God about who he sees me to be, who he's called me to be, how he sees me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it, it goes from being a crappy situation where you're offended at a loved one in your life to being mm-hmm. a situation where you just got a little encounter with the Lord, with truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that grace that you've shown the other person always turns around and is like, yeah means something really beautiful to that person as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say like, uh, I mean, cause what it sounds like what you're talking about is really like, uh, you know, that where Paul talks about wives sub- be, you know, submit to your husbands is at odds with this feminist feminist narrative that was still, I mean, for what it sounds like was still at work in you on its way out as you were getting yeah. married. And then as you were getting, you know, I'm sure as you were carrying your child and, and all that, yeah. all this, was you're processing through all this, correct? Yeah. Definitely. So I would say um, during Chris and I's dating was when 
really this was all coming to a head. And in a lot of ways, I remember telling Chris that I would, I would not be taking his last name when we got married. And, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm I not surprised. Like, That's why I'm laughing. Yeah, like just, you know, it, just give it. It's yeah. just, it's right on brands for yeah, just, the, it is on brand. Yeah. Marriage, you know? Um, and you know, I, I would like to say that like our last names and the way we do it in the United States is definitely like a cultural thing. So mm-hmm. there's not a right or wrong with it, uh, objectively, um, you know, like in central and South America, it's totally different how they do it. And they're much more traditional in their perspective of marriage and like the wives and husbands don't take each other's last name at all. It's, it's totally different how they do it. Oh, interesting. So there's not like a right or wrong objectively with this. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash give and become a partner today. And that was my point with him. I was, I was like, this is so stupid. Like this isn't in the Bible. This is, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. We actually had our, probably our biggest argument of all time about this issue. And um, the Lord convicted me and it, it took about a, probably a month, honestly. It was actually a really big like point in our relationship. Um, and we decided we both needed to just seek the Lord for a month. We didn't talk to each other for a month. That was- wow like one of the most painful things of my life because we were so in love. We wanted to be married and, but we had these things that just kept coming up. Bit of an issue. Yeah. Yes. And this was one of the things. And so for a month, we both just didn't talk to each other. We just went to the Lord and it was really scary because I was like, I felt like I was like giving this a relationship to the Lord. And then the Lord started convicting me. I thought I was like, we're going to, just to have this month and the Lord's going to convict Chris of how <laughs> yeah. he's been to me. going to see how and wrong he is. And yeah, yeah. He's going to see how wrong he is. And yeah. I am so excited that you're just going to sustain yeah. me in this season as you're showing him how wrong he is. Yes. And instead like day one, I just was so convicted over like these things that I had said and different like ways I'd handled things in a relationship just kept coming up. And mm-hmm. I was like so grieved and I so badly wanted to call Chris and just be like, I'm so sorry, but we had decided not to talk for months. So I'm just for a month sitting on it, just like, ah, oh, this hurts. But it was really good because I needed, I needed it to like get really real with the Lord and I. And so God just started convicting me about like, I don't even really know exactly um, how it happened, but I know by the end of, the, of it, I was like, it's actually important for me to take Chris's last name, even though I'm like technically right in what I'm saying. There's nothing objectively right or wrong about Mm -hmm. a last name. But for me, this is really an important act of humbling myself and of saying like, I receive Chris's family as mine and I receive Chris as like our leader of our family. And that was really hard for me. (laughs) And so I started reading Paul and before I had kind of like written Paul off and I was like, you know, I listen to the words of Jesus, but Besides that, these are interesting opinions. Of course. Um, as yeah. if like Paul and these other writers weren't a part of preserving the words of Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. And it's a very progressive ideology, like within yeah. it's very very common, very common amongst young people that I didn't know. I didn't know it was common at the time and um only in hindsight. And now there's a lot of people who I've talked with um mm-hmm. in the last couple of years who believe that. And I've been like, listen, been there done that doesn't help fruitless <laughs> um, venture if yeah, i may yeah. <laughs> present a lot of pain for you fruitless venture 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, that yeah. doesn't work out in the end. Um, so I was reading like uh, probably at the beginning of our marriage reading, you know, again, wives of material husband. And I was like, I think this probably means that <laughs> that's really hard for me because for years I was saying, you know, that's not really what Paul meant there. It's that was probably his, just his opinion. Um, I don't even remember all the things that I would say. What does but, he know? It was so long yeah, ago. Yeah. He's single. He wasn't married. He doesn't uh-huh. understand. Of course yeah. he thinks that, you know, or it was cultural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just thought, okay, I'm going to try to live this and just see what happens. And so I'm reading scripture that's like changing stuff in my heart. And the Lord is speaking to me. And then I'm also feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to reading these other books that are not necessarily, um, I think the lady that wrote this book that I'm about to talk about is a Mormon actually. So she's like somewhat scripturally based, but the book was more just, um, self-evident truths, I would say. And it was written in the 1950s. It's called fascinating womanhood. And, um, there's an updated version that I think is a million times better than the original, but I recommend after read my book ladies, you should read this book. It's so good. Um, especially cause my book will like warm you up to some, otherwise you might like be like, what the heck is this lady? And oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. yeah. Her daughter rewrote it in like the eighties or nineties. And when she rewrote it, I mean, she added a ton of stuff that makes it very relevant to today. It's, mm. it's phenomenal. But in the book, she really, it, it's what she's talking about is, is the ideas that Paul is talking about, but she's talking about it just in a, neutral way without using scripture. And uh, she goes into neuroscience because her husband's a doctor talking about the different ways men and women's brains work and different things. And it's just affirming all the stuff I'm reading in scripture, affirming all the stuff that the Lord is speaking to me and giving me practical ways to implement it. Mm-hmm. Um, because growing up, the only people I knew who really were like, yes, wives submit to the husbands, it was, they were fundamentalists and they were going it wasn't wives submit to your husbands. It was wives obey your husbands um, the way that you obey God. And it was like the wives were just another child in the home. And there was no asking the wives for their wisdom in things. There was no trusting them and to have leadership within the home at all. Um, And and so, and I know the way that all plays out in each home is going to be different and everybody's got to you know, seek the Holy spirit for that. I'm not trying to, you know, give a a specific plan that people need to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, but the practical advice that she gave was just so balanced and wonderful because it was, she explains so much of the way like men think. And it was the first time in my life I had ever confronted the idea that men and women think differently. And I remember just being like, we think differently what like oh yeah <laughs> i mean i w- i was shocked and if you are having that thought you definitely need to read that book because um say the book yes, title one women, more time fascinating womanhood um okay. because yeah many women think very differently and <laughs> i didn't know that until this point and so she's talking about like when wives um you know live out submission essentially it actually is like the perfect way for you to be elevated to leadership in a sense, because a wife who is um, loving to her husband and respects his unique role in the home and who is thankful for the unique burden that he carries, 
um, a husband wants to cherish that wife and wants her wisdom on how to, how things go in the home and wants her advice about the problems that he's facing at work or whatever it is. And so I was like, okay, yeah, right. Like there's no way this lady's right. This is written in the fifties, but I'm going to try it and I'm just going to see. And so I started living out these principles and it was really hard at first. It required a lot of the Holy biting Spirit. Your, biting your tongue? Biting my tongue. Yeah, yeah. really. And the Holy Spirit helping me do that because yeah, I sure. don't think I could do that on my own. Um, and it was phenomenal. The change that happened in my relationship with Chris. I mean, it was, it, we. I went from like the first three months of our marriage being really miserable and me being like, what have we done? Yeah. To <laughs> like wow, I feel so loved and I feel so safe and so cherished. And um, it was a huge shift. And so when we had our baby a year ago, I remember telling Chris, oh, we've worked so hard to get to this place in our marriage. And I'm so scared because having a baby like is going to change things. And he was like, it is going to, and it's going to be a challenge, but we have, we've overcome this before. And we are going to do it again. And so it, it's true. When we had the baby, all, it, all my tools went out the window. I was sleep deprived. And um, I dealt with a lot of postpartum anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And probably because of just the different hormonal things that I dealt with with endometriosis in the past, mm-hmm. I seem to have kind of a chemical disposition in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so the, it was, it was, I had to once again, and it was really funny because I'm rereading my book for the edit and I'm reading all this stuff and I'm getting convicted once again. Oh, <laughs> I've fallen back into my subconscious feminist state. And I've got to, again, give this to the Lord. I've got to, again, mm-hmm. surrender. I've got to, again, humble myself. And so it was so good. And also funny because the Lord used this time of me editing my book to help me again, go through this process. And I picked up fascinating womanhood again. I was like, I got to get back on this. (laughs) I got to get back plugged into the Holy spirit empowered by the Lord again, because I cannot do this in my own strength. And so I can tell you the principles work again, you know, every new life changing season and everything you have to, kind of go to the next level with these things, but it works. And it's been really, really beautiful to see the Lord be faithful. Um, as I walk out, <laughs> attempt to walk out yeah. his design, you know, and I think that's it is. I, and I think I appreciate the humility justice and like acknowledging that it's still an in-process thing. And I think that that level of transparency, that level of authenticity um, is something that I know really resonates with me, which is why I conduct myself very similarly on this show, just being very transparent with people about what I'm going through. Yeah. Um, and I think that that goes a long way of, of of really encouraging people, especially women who maybe find themselves in the same place of like, oh, so it's okay to struggle with this. It's okay to yeah. to stumble and and to uh, to not feel like I'm grabbing a hold of this concept. It's okay for it to be difficult, yes. especially at first. I think that that brings a lot of freedom to people. Yeah. In fact, I would say that is one of the most important things that I could share now in hindsight. Uh, (laughs) If I was to add another chapter to my book, this is probably what I would add now is exactly what you're saying. Like, this is not something that you're just going to get. And then all of a sudden it's like, cool. My life is better now. And my marriage is always perfect. And just, I'm just so happy 
just sitting at home with my kids all the time now. I have no, I don't struggle with that at all. No, it, you're, the reality is that we're probably for the rest of our lives going to be coming up against that. It's really a feminist spirit. And it, and it like, I don't know what the actual spirit is, but that's what I'm going to call it. It's selfishness. It's self-interest. It's fear. It's pain. It's, I mean, there's so many ways that that comes against us as yeah. women, but it is a continual process. And it's something that I think all of us will be walking out for the rest of our lives. And that mm-hmm. is not glamorous. And that's a hard reality. That's hard for someone like me. I'm very idealistic. Um, I am very like visionary person. And so when I have like my new belief, I'm just, I can like live on the high of that for a while. And uh-huh. so it was really good for me yep. that I had to really dig deep this year, um, the first year of our son's life to get back into these things so that I can actually understand like the real work of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a continual process. I mean, like everything in our relationship with the Lord, like our sanctification with Jesus is a process that we will be walking out for the rest of our lives. And yep. there's days yeah. <laughs> when I am taking care of my son and I've spent the whole day just cooking, cleaning, chasing him, feeding him. And at the end of the day, I'm just like, all I did today was that. Like that doesn't, I did nothing significant. I'm like, I did, I like my feminist side of me. That's like, I need to accomplish something. I need to like have something tangible. And I have to remind myself like this is the most significant thing that you can do. You're literally forming a little person and that's, that's really hard because it doesn't feel like it. And the reason it doesn't feel that way is because our culture doesn't celebrate it. Right. I was going to say, that's Um, what feminists, that is a, you thinking that is a byproduct of feminism. And I would say there's probably more nuance to it than that. I think that you could look at societal structures and things like the, where we place value, but raising up the next generation there, I, I've kind of landed in this place of like, I can't think of anything that's more important. Like you're raising up a child. Yeah. yeah. You know? Exa- exactly. And you know, for some people like parenthood will not be biological, but that doesn't mean that you're not called to be a parent. Like right. I think every man and woman is called to motherhood and fatherhood yeah. and to that level of sacrifice, to the same level of sacrifice that like me having a biological child, I think all of us is called to that level of sacrifice for others. Um, and so I just want to say that in case any like women are listening and they're like, oh, I'm single. And I don't have a baby. Like you're still called to motherhood. Um, and, and you I talk address about that, that in, my in book. your book. Yeah. yeah. You give a great quote. Oh, I can't remember who it was. Yeah. But on those days I have to remind myself, okay, so the culture that you exist in really has been shaped by feminism for the most part. Mm-hmm. And has been shaped by things that are not what actually matters in the Lord's eyes. And so I have to recenter myself mm-hmm. constantly. I have to go, okay, even though it doesn't feel like it, because you're not, unfortunately, the voices of feminism are louder than the voices of like the faith community, because most of us are living in the world. Like we just have to be, that's just how, how our world is right now. We don't live in a, in a Christian country. We don't live in little Christian neighborhoods. Um, And so I have to remind myself, like, even though I don't feel like this is the most valuable, it is the most valuable. 
And it's okay that you don't feel that way right now because feelings are so influenced by um, what's around us and what what we see highlighted and glorified around us. But but it's good for me to remind myself that. And so even I um, just listened to, to my audiobook again this week. Um, Fantastic, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. And I was just crying at several points um, because – I needed to be reminded of some of the things that I talk about in there. And it was really cool for me to hear myself before I had my baby saying and talking about the importance of motherhood, almost like a little message to myself from the past of like, this is, this is the thing that you have dreamed of for your whole life. This is the thing that you've known that, you know, from scripture that, you know, from biology is like so beautiful and so wonderful and, and you're doing it now. And so don't, um, don't lose heart in the trenches kind of, you know, um, but you really have to give yourself these pep talks because our culture is not representing like God's heart for us as men and women at all. Right. Yeah. Well, and you gave uh, an example. I kind of want to hit on like the man and woman, husband and wife dynamic a little bit. Um, you had given an example. I can't remember the exact phrase you're talking about an australian pastor and it said like real real women uplift men or something yeah empowered women empower men yeah yeah yeah. that's the one and uh you know you kind of said like when a man uh when a man feels respected he will open up you're talking about those issues with that dynamic with you and your husband chris um i think a lot of women can relate to that i think just reading that little portion of going like oh yeah but it really is true and this is something i wanted to hit on um you know, like before I met my wife, Lauren, I was in kind of a relationship. Um, and, uh, it was, have you ever seen 500 days of summer, the movie 500 days of summer? Yes. It's been a while, but yes. Okay. Yeah. My dynamic was very much like, it's basically about this story for those who don't know the story of, uh, this guy and he has a very romantic kind of romanticized view of relationships and love. And then he meets this girl named summer who has a very nihilistic view of love. Her parents got divorced. She talks about how love is a fantasy um, and they end up getting into a relationship. And both of them are very upfront with their ideals right out of the gate. But for some reason, they're constantly in this place of thinking that they can't, you know, they, they, they can change the other person. Yeah. And it says right at the beginning, I'm not spoiling anything. It says <laughs> right out at the beginning, this is not a love story. Um, and so- <laughs> It, I'm not spoiling anything. It's like within like the first 30 seconds, <laughs> yeah, that this true. is not a love story. Um, there's like a voiceover that says, um, but, um, that was definitely my dynamic. And I was definitely the guy mm. in the situation, very kind of head in the clouds, you know, I'm an idealist as well. So, you know, it just was, you know, one of those things. So uh, you can relate yep. to that justice. Um, I can. And, uh, you know, I had this laundry list of things that I thought they were, they were very kind of. I guess physical kind of definitions I was trying to put on something that was a deeper concept. And I, you know, it's like, okay, well, they need to be really into this. Like I'm into this thing and they need to have this interest and this interest. And, and, um, you know, I, I found myself in this relationship with someone who I felt constantly made fun of constantly put down. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm sure that, you know, she would have her own side of the story too. And, you know, we were young and, and I remember after kind of I kind of dealing with the fallout of that relationship ending 
And I was talking to the Lord and I was still kind of held on to some of these like, okay, well, they need to be interested in this and this and this trying to find very physical examples to try and buffer out pain that I felt or buffer out, you know, okay, well, if they liked this thing that I wouldn't be made fun of, or they liked this thing that I wouldn't be. Yes. And what the Lord showed me through that process was that it was more, what I was really after was being understood. That's what I was after. Someone who understood me who understood my language, you know, they didn't have to. And I realized in that moment, I was like, it doesn't matter what they like if they understand me. And second I met my wife, you know, God obviously had to do Mm -hmm. some healing in that process. I needed to take some time away from a relationship. But the second I met my (laughs) wife, I instantly knew it. Like what you're hearing? Help us continue to make Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. To get behind this ministry, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Now, back to the show. We hadn't even talked about interest. We hadn't even talked about anything. And I was like, this is it. And so I can't underestimate the importance of understanding your man. If you're a woman, uh, like listening to them, appreciating them, uh, championing them. Like Mm. if a guy feels like they have someone in their corner, if their woman is in their corner, like, dude, you could like, you're like, you want to watch me lift this giant boulder? You know, like, yes. <laughs> it's just like all these <laughs> yes. things, even just like the little things like, hey, thanks for doing the dishes. Oh, you like that, huh? Watch me empty the, watch me empty the dishwasher and then watch me <laughs> take out the trash. All right. Now, yeah. You know, it's like, and then it just like, is this snowball effect? And that seems like a very trivial thing, but I think there's this counterintuitive thing within women where it's like, Okay, well, if, if I let my husband or boyfriend or fiance know that I'm displeased, that's going to strong arm them into the place where I want them to be. And often yeah. it has a reverse effect uh, because <clears throat> totally. people don't want to be nagged or hassled or, you know, and I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that. Yeah. But I just thought it was a really interesting. I was really glad you hit it in your book. I have kind of a theory about this. Okay. Um that because as women, one of our primary designs is motherhood and nurturing. I think it's really natural for us to go into that mode when we see something that needs work and all of us need work. So it's really, really easy. when you are living in close proximity to another person, your husband, your father, um, boyfriend, whatever, to see where they need work and then to be like, let me help you. Um, and the problem is we were not created to mother our husbands. Hmm. Um, we were created to be the object of their affection. We were created to be an image of Christ in the church. And how are we doing that if we're like just interested in nitpicking at yeah. our spouse? Like that, that, that's so counter. And so those are good skills that we have as women to be able to help someone to nurture them and grow them and help them become their best version of themselves. But we have to turn that off with our husbands. Um, and it, that's really hard because you're seeing real things, you know, we're seeing real, like if Chris, you know, um, doesn't open the door for me when we walk into a restaurant or something, that's, I mean, that's not like a morally, whatever. It's a gentlemanly issue, not like a moral issue, but it it bothers me. And if I say something, I'm thinking I'm helping him become a gentleman, which I know he wants to be a gentleman. So this is good. I'm helping him. And what he's feeling like is, wow, like another thing. I'm just, I'm just not good enough. And I see it like wear on him. And when I will make comments in those moments, I immediately regret it. I'm like, why did I do that? Like, I just, I can see the wind go out of his sails. And 
if instead, when I notice him being intentional in other areas, I focus on those things. I notice that the other areas start to like, it's just like what you're saying. It, it multiplies. And so I think we have to be really careful as women that we do not use our mothering and our nurturing in that way with our husbands. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that instead, our number one goal is to be like the biggest cheerleader, the biggest encourager. And I think another area where this happens is that as Christian women specifically, we put a Christian spiritual spin on doing that. And it is a self-righteous attitude of, and I see women do this with their husbands, with their relationship with God a lot. It's so damaging where you think, you know, he's not being as holy and he's being less moral. And so you need to make sure that he is spending time with God or raising his hands in church or, you know, not on his phone during service, whatever it is. And it's like, that's not our job. Like our job is not to come into his life and make sure, you know, be the policeman for God. Like that's the job of the Holy Spirit, you mm-hmm. know, and that's hard. That that was a hard one for me. And I feel like I was uh, reading through, wow, I can't remember what book of the Bible it is now all of a sudden, but where Jesus is talking about, get the log out of your own eye before you. Yeah. It's in the, the it. Sermon on the Mount. So yeah. I think, yeah. I think it probably says it in a couple of the gospels. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to the Sermon on the Mount like on repeat recently. So so that nice. makes sense. Yeah, that would be it. And yeah. I just felt like the Lord was giving me another image even for this idea. Because before I refer to it in my book as like a self-righteous attitude of like, we think we're such hot stuff that we have a right to like, oh, here I am, this angel creature come to help make you holy. And it's like, <laughs> no, we also You're welcome. like, we're, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. like we're, we're just as fallen. We're just as sinful. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Lord, like in a really loving way, was humbling me again. And just like justice, like there are things that you're blind to that you don't even know you're blind to. There are logs in your eye that you don't even know are there. And you are so busy looking at Chris like, oh, I see a splinter here. And I could, if I could just help you with this. If I may be so bold. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And it's like getting a splinter out of someone's eye is like very delicate and it also requires intimacy and it requires that person to feel safe with you because yeah, if like some yeah. random person comes up to your eye and it's like hey you got something in your eye you don't feel yeah. safe with them coming over and like pulling on your eye yeah. and so in order for someone to feel like safe with that level of you getting up in their business i mean you're you're not going to create that by um nitpicking you're not going to create that by being critical right. you're going to create that safety by being some being someone's biggest cheerleader mm. and i needed to feel this so if any other women need to feel this too you have permission from god to see the most redeemed version of your husband and to ignore the problems and and obviously again this is like within bounds if your husband is abusive if he is like you know that that's not what i'm talking about here but if he's just like a normal human being with human problems you actually have permission to ignore the bad stuff and to focus on the positive things and to affirm the positive things and when i realized that first of all then i started seeing my own problems and i was like oh wow that's really cringy and embarrassing that i felt like i just have my life so together that i should be telling Chris how to live his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it just brought a humility that I needed. And it also allowed Chris to feel like 
as amazing as he is. And I mm. realized how that he wasn't, he didn't know how amazing I thought he was because I wasn't verbalizing it. I was verbalizing wow. the things he needed to work on. Wow. And, and so that's just a recommendation that I have. And that's with husbands. But I also, if you're, um, you know, still living with your parents, that's a great thing to practice with your dad. Mm, uh, as a woman, it's a great thing to practice with your brothers. It's a great thing to practice with any man in your life because the way to help a man, and I, again, I'm not some expert, but this is just from my personal experience. The way to help a man become the best version of himself, the version that you're wanting is not by nitpicking. It is actually by doing the exact opposite. It is by mm -hmm. finding any little gold, any little thing that you can praise and affirm and watching that you get as a woman, you get to like poor miracle grow on things. And so you get to watch that grow into like more and more. Um, and that doesn't happen by you. Wow. wow, wow, wow. You know, <laughs> <laughs> backbiting. Yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I, uh, this is probably going to go over so many people's heads, but I have to give the analogy. Uh, but, um, the movie Dune, uh, you know, I'm a big sci-fi guy. And so the movie Dune, all right, I'm going somewhere with this. All right. Nate, I, this is Chris's favorite movie. Well, okay, see, Chris, I love Chris. He and I like, yeah, yeah he's awesome. Um, yeah. But um, anyways, there's a scene where Timothy Chalamet's character is flying this ship through this giant storm. Okay. And it's like this really nasty storm that like, it's on this planet and these storms are known for just like causing absolute devastation and they're flying and he's like he keeps trying to like steer and then he finally has this moment where he just lets go and like every effort for him mm -hmm. to try and steer through this storm was like which would be a natural instinct from somebody was actually causing his ship to fall apart and then when he let mm -hmm. go was when it actually everything ended up being okay that's what him letting go of the control and just letting the storm take them and letting it pass through actually was the thing that caused it. So, which seems counterintuitive and that's the point I'm making, but to me, yeah. it's always been a great illustration of any time that I'm trying to take control in a situation where I just need to surrender to the Lord. Uh, it, to me, it's just always, I love, yeah. I have to put images to things that go through. Um, I I'm love constantly that. giving simile and analogy. Um, but yeah. yeah, so it's a great example, but it's that whole thing of, of what you're talking about. Justice seems counterintuitive to a woman's instincts sometimes yeah. you know where you're like yeah. okay there's a problem i need to address it and i need to yeah. be sassy about it too sometimes add a little yeah. <laughs> add a little flavor to it you know yeah um but it actually a lot of times has the reverse effect yeah on the thing that you're trying to fix yeah which i think is so sad because yeah. i think um as wives we want unless you're just a really selfish person but i think most of us want our husbands to feel good about themselves, want them to feel successful, want them to feel like loved and championed by us and respected by us. Mm -hmm. um, and few of us have the tools to accomplish that because we've grown up in a Westernized culture that has emasculated men and has really been formed by so many of these feminist leaders. Mm -hmm. And I go through some of the history of that in my book as well. Some yep. of the history of these women. And since I wrote my book, I actually have studied even further and realized that the feminist movement was problematic from moment one. It wasn't, it was never good. Um, it accomplished some good things. Like I'm mm -hmm. really glad that I can vote. That's awesome. Right. But uh, the, literally the people who got us our vote 
if you, when you start to study it, it's just like, yeah. oh. Well, and that's the thing that's been enlightening for me the past couple of years and even just learning the little that I've learned about it. Some of it actually yeah. just through you and our conversations um, inside and outside of the show. But I think it it wasn't a unanimous thing where it's like, yes, that's all. There were people that women that didn't want the responsibilities that came with all these things that the yeah. feminist movement was was seeking. And I don't know that one was worse than the other, but right. you know, there's, I guess there's an argument for both sides of, of that issue when it first started to kind of snowball. But, yeah. You know. And, and um, Dr. Nancy Piercy has a book that's coming out about this. I think it's, it's called something about toxic masculinity, like, but not toxic masculinity because she's destroying that um, argument, but yeah. she's a phenomenal researcher and, and she, she actually believes that it's been a net negative women having the vote. Now she's not saying that women shouldn't vote. Um, I'll just, I'll say that much, right. but she's saying it's been a net negative because before that, and I didn't know this, um, the vote was by household. And, and so our country was much more household oriented and family oriented. Wow. And the shift when it came to women getting the right to vote, it was also um, the individuals who were starting to get the right to vote. And so she said, you know, the problem isn't that women got the right to vote. It's that at the same time, we saw this huge shift in our country away from family oriented and, um, you know, homes being kind of little villages in a sense to it being very individualistic in an individualistic society, like cannot succeed without high levels of dependency on its government. And so there's a whole other thing you can go into with that um socialism and communism and stuff exactly (laughs) and so it's it's really interesting because when you realize that when you realize we've become an individualistic country and we have a country that worships the individual and you realize that humans can't really succeed like that and so we have Mm -hmm. all these things um legally that are sort of propping up things artificially um propping up other systems then you realize like no wonder we have so many of the problems that we have in our society because like no wonder um i'm in a couple different mom facebook groups and you know one of the number one things that i see posted about is moms who are devastated about going back to work after they have their baby and i am so so thankful that that wasn't something I had to deal with. Cause I remember six weeks hitting and thinking, I can't imagine going back to work right now. I can't imagine leaving my baby. I can't imagine leaving my baby now. Um, I'm so blessed that I get to have so much time with him and be home with him all the time. And so these women who are like, Oh, I have this career, but I just want to be with my baby. Mm-hmm. And they can't. And the reason they can't is because as a society, most of us cannot live on a single income and can't support a family on a yeah. single income. And then you start to learn why that is. And it has to do with feminism once again. And it's all these things that are artificially propped up. But as a woman, if you find yourself like struggling to like be fully in your feminine identity, to fully give yourself to that, it's because um, there are so many things like culturally that are coming at you and coming. I mean, I I would say the same thing for men. I, I would say if you're struggling as a man to like, feel like you can fully embody your masculine identity. And as a son of God, it's the same thing. Like there are so many things culturally that are happening right now that are pulling us away from that identity or not. I mean, it's impossible 
it really is impossible in many, many ways. And so yeah. it, when Israel went into um, captivity in Babylon, there were a lot of the laws that they literally couldn't keep a lot of God's laws. They couldn't because they were not living in a community anymore. And so we have to really view ourselves in many ways as existing in captivity in a sense in our, in our mm-hmm. own Babylon right now, there are ways um, we can't like live out a utopian male, female dynamic right now. It's, it's not possible, but we can fight for that for the next generations. Mm-hmm. And we can, in a sense, actually find rest in that because we can be like, okay, God, I actually can't do this perfectly. Like it's impossible. And so the great thing is that I can, I can trust in your grace to show me how to do this the best way for my family. And and so there's a reliance in a walking with the spirit that is so required of us um, living in the culture that we live in today. Mm -hmm. Man, I have like, four more pages of notes and we haven't even gotten through. <laughs> I'm just like, there's so even everything you were saying right there. I was like, Oh man, like a whole episode on this whole idea of <laughs> male dominated spaces. And it like, because I've noticed that there's, I'm really mm-hmm. trying not to go fully down this road by the way, but I need to just like get this out. <laughs> Do it. We could be, and I can come almost. back sometime, you know? Yeah, no, no, for real. I, I think cause there's, there's more to talk about with this, you know, cause I'm also trying to like, grab moments from your book just as touch points because i don't want to fully dive into everything you talked about in the book because i really do want women especially to to experience it for themselves because yeah, it is really yeah. impactful um but there's so much to branch off of a, a lot of these different things and one of them that i've been thinking about a lot lately is this idea of male dominated spaces especially within like okay right now in popular culture i follow a lot of popular culture stuff there's this big emphasis on male dominated fan bases and that as feminists, Mm -hmm. those are areas that we need to force our way into. And one of the areas has been star Wars and back in 2012, Lucasfilm got sold to Disney and Kathleen Kennedy, who has actually been a producer of some of the most well-known, well-loved movies throughout the seventies, eighties, nineties, um, especially the eighties and nineties. Um, And I had a lot of respect for her, but her first order of business was to take disproportionately um, Star Wars is predominantly a male dominated fan base. And despite Disney's best efforts and Lucasfilm's best efforts and Kathleen Kennedy as the the head of this, this uh, film company is it's failed. Like their efforts to go, okay, well, we're going to force in female, uh, female female leads over and over again. They did this whole campaign of the force is female. Um, they actually <laughs> took the majority of Lucasfilm was men, and she actually made it disproportionately more female. Statistically, even now, and again, my wife is a big Star Wars fan. I am. Illumination yeah. is, you know. Um, so uh, there I is was this for thing. a long time. Yeah, I've gotten out this of thing. it now, but I was. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame you, but there's, um, <laughs> there's this. Uh, there is a recognition that, you know, it is going to be more male dominated and it's not this guys. A lot of times we're just, we're not looking to dominate a space and go get out of here. Cooties, no females allowed, (laughs) but it's just, we just want a place to hang out. We want a place to just be guys. And there's this whole idea of like, again, this is a whole nother thing, but the whole, like guys can literally think about nothing like right now. 
not thinking about anything. Oh my like, gosh. Yes. Can, Chris can, will do that. And yeah. I'll be like, what are you thinking right now? And he's like, literally nothing. And yeah. Like, Guys literally can't I think can't about imagine that. Yeah. Can't imagine like, it. We can <laughs> shut it off. And, and for us in a lot of ways, these male dominated spaces, whether it's sports, I'm not a sports guy, but that is an example. Yeah. Movies, fan bases of these different things are in many ways a nothing box for men. We're just like, we're not mm. like, like, yeah, there's, a female character in Star Wars I think is cool. There's a guy character. There's a black character. There's an Asian character I think are cool. You know, and then there, you, I just think it's one of these ideals that we look at. It's like, especially within feminism and there's other places as well where you can go, okay, well, when you start looking for something, you start seeing it even if it's not there, you know? And yeah. I think you kind of addressed this a little bit earlier in the conversation of just like, it starts to shape the whole way that you look at everything. You're like, yeah. Men are out to get women. They're looking to subjugate women. And so if you look at things through that lens, suddenly everything is that, even when it's yes. not. And so I think that, again, this is a whole nother conversation, but I'm seeing it a lot within male dominated yeah. fan bases, male dominated professions. Um, so, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. There's something, um, Oh man, I think it was in the seventies when title nine was passed, but I, I can't remember exactly when. So don't, don't take me to court on that okay. uh, date, but um, title nine is a legislative thing that they passed where they were trying to get women into male dominated spaces more in education. And that's not all that title nine is about, but it had, they, they enacted all of these laws in schools and it took away funding for traditionally female um, classes in public schools in the United States. And so things like home ec and um, I'm trying to remember what the other ones were, just anything that had to do with like caretaking, the mm -hmm. arts, things like that, that traditionally are female dominated. They took away the funding um, because they wanted to encourage women to go into STEM. And so they artificially created this increase of women going to STEM because they didn't have a choice. And in the process, they also said, if you're a Title IX funded school, you cannot talk about um, motherhood as being a career path. You actually can't even mention it. And so That's when so you're doing wild. career counseling in public schools that are Title IX funded, you're, you're not allowed to career counsel someone and say, have you thought about being a mother? You can't say that. You have you have to assume because you're that settling go. for less than. That's what society's telling people. Exactly. You yeah. have to assume that this young woman should and will go to university. And I mean, I know that I felt that, and I didn't grow up in any kind of progressive family at all, and right. I still felt it. I was homeschooled, and I still yeah. felt this. Um, didn't go to a Title IX school, and but it's it's trickled out into all of the culture, and you see it in education. You're seeing it with the Star Wars fan base. And so they're trying to artificially increase the number of women who are in these other fields. And what's really funny is that women will actually like go into these fields and alter them to fit like our female um, ways of doing things. For example, with Star Wars, the thing that I loved about Star Wars were the love stories. Couldn't have right. cared less about it being in outer space. Couldn't have cared less about the like, Millennium Falcon or any of that. I mm -hmm. loved the love stories. That's what Han I was solo and for. Princess Leia. Yeah, Padme yeah. and Anakin. Anakin. Like that yeah. was yeah, I was all about that. 
Uh-huh. And, and so it's the same thing with like women, when they're going into these fields, they're not even, they're doing it in, in a uniquely female way because they're looking for an expression of their femininity. And so, uh, I, there was a story, I can't remember where I heard this, but of a little girl and they, this, this family bought her, um, they were like, we're going to get gender neutral toys because we don't want to encourage her to just be a mom. We want her to be whatever she wants. So they bought her all these toy trucks and they found her, they walked in her room and she goes, shh my babies are asleep. And she had tucked all her trucks into bed. And this family realized that they were being ridiculous, that there were things that were ingrained in their daughter, that there was nothing. Uh She was going to find a way to express her femininity, whether it was with trucks or it was with baby dolls. And I mean, same thing with my son. Somebody gave him a baby doll and I was like, this is so weird. And he (laughs) he just throws it. He literally does not. I mean, if he acknowledges its existence, but if you show him a ball, or anything that has like little gears and things like that. I mean, he's only a year old. He is like so into the mechanics of things already. Mm-hmm. And obviously this is anecdotal. Not every child is going to be this way, but generally speaking, like these are truths. Mm-hmm. And um, we've tried to artificially, you know, really play God with the way that we've structured things in culture and society in order to, again, artificially like get men to be more like women and women to be more like men. Well, even just, it, like it doesn't the- work. Yeah, the exception to the rule is what I find is like becoming yes. the rule. So it's like, okay, well, trans people have felt marginalized. And even though they make up a very small percentage, we're going to put them front and center. And unfortunately, yeah. what that's done as well, and you, there's a lot of commentary about this, um, where there's a lot of ad space catered to ages on social media, Instagram, TikTok, things like that, yeah. where you'll, it's not uncommon now to hear someone who's even detransitioned saying, when I was X age, I was confused. Yeah. I was trying to figure out who I was. I felt like an outcast. And then I started seeing ads about gender affirming yeah. surgeries, all these things. This is- They I call mean, it social contagion. Exactly. Social contagion. And it really which is, affects women particularly strongly. Yeah. And that was something you addressed in your book too, is the social contagion yeah. thing. Yeah. So it's it's so sad because yeah, you get young women pulled into the trans stuff, feminism, right. man hating yeah. all of this from yeah. a young age. And yeah. And then they think, oh, this is, this is me thinking for myself. I'm thinking freely. And really they've actually, it's the exact opposite of what we're being told. We've been told that our gender identity, uh, like our femininity and masculinity are learned things that, um, that, that they were created by culture, by social constructs. Mm -hmm. And the exact opposite is true. It, it was thousands of years of human beings existing and leaning into their biological norms Mm -hmm. that got us the gender roles and things that existed. And obviously there was elements of that, that were not functioning under God's best design. Um, like it was not at all perfected. It was a fallen expression. Uh, but, but they were still like, men are going to be the protectors and providers yep. only in a country as wealthy and as safe as ours. Do, is that not obvious mm-hmm. because we are so safe that we actually have the opportunity to compete in the workspace with and men come up with and- dumb theories that we put into practice and exactly it's only in the west that we are privileged enough to be blinded to how natural gender roles and things like that Mm, are and 
so I'm not trying to demonize women who have careers. Like God calls many women into careers. I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to demonize um, men who have to stay home with their kids at different times. I'm simply saying that 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 self-evident truths that become very self-evident when you go somewhere like a third world nation uh, and it really is survival. um, We just don't always see that in in the U.S. because we are so wealthy comparatively. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've got time. We've got time to just sit there with our thoughts and go, you know, it would be a good idea. Yeah. Which yeah. actually is not a good idea, you know. But yeah. like, let's, let's put children on puberty blockers. That's yeah. Let's make everybody feel bad for actually making sense, you know. And yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah. Well, Justice, um, man, I'm having to cut myself off because there's a <laughs> lot. There's just a lot, a lot I want to talk about. Um, but no, I just. It's a good problem. Is, yeah, it is a great problem to have. And I think that's something that your book produces. I think that that's the fruit of what mm-hmm. your book is produced, even as a guy going through it. Um, Thank it's, you. It's, it's really, it is very thought provoking. And I think the thing that I love about this is, you know, you having been in this place, you talk a lot about kind of because you're more idealistically, lean, you know, leaning of grabbing hold of extremes at times. And, um, okay, if it's not this, it's this, and you address two points and I'll let people figure this out for themselves. You address two different points as kind of ditches on the, 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 the road of truth, there's a ditch on either side and there's two extremes. And so I really want people, um, but the thing you also really make a point to say is do not use this book then as your playbook on how to conduct yourself. This is going to look different for every woman. And that was something I really respected and was happy that you put in there was that like, Hey, like I'm talking about, you know, my path out of these extremes and trying to grab a hold of God's truth and God's principles and allowing him to be the center versus an ideal that when forcing God into don't use my book as then a replacement of an extreme that you abandoned. And I think that that's something that I really, really was happy you put in there. Um, so I think you. people yeah. can see that evident throughout the book. I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah, yeah. that's. I know so. That's my yeah. that's my proclivity is to read something and then be like, "This is my new personality," yeah. and I didn't want that. I I don't yeah. want that for you. So if you're reading my book, that's not what I. I don't want you to become me. Um, God doesn't want you to become me. You won't be any happier if you're me. Um, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. become who God has designed you to be as a woman or as a man. And, um, really the only things that I think are definitive is that God has called you to be his son or daughter. He's called you to be a mother or a father. And, um, and that's pretty much it. That's all I can like say for sure for you. And, and so now you get to figure out what that looks like to become a mother, to become a father and to manifest that in your unique situation in life. Um, but God wants to walk that out with you. Mm, absolutely. Well, justice, I would love for you to pray for the ladies. Um, however you feel led. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Lord, I just thank you so much for every woman who's watching this right now. I ask that you would be our power, be our strength in the areas that were weak, that you would just display yourself so mightily through us. I ask that you would empower us to surrender, that you would empower us to humble ourselves, to bite our tongues, 
that you would lead us to others who can be mentors and guide us on this path of just embracing our identity Mm -hmm. as women of God, embracing our identity as feminine image bearers. And I just ask that any confusion along the way, anywhere the enemy would try to pull us into either ditch on the side of the road, that you would just stand there as a guard in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And there's actually a quote. I I marked it. It's near the back uh, that I wanted to read of something you wrote. Um, yeah. It's something that actually ties in a lot to what I say about doubt. And, and if you've got doubt within the Bible, questions, hurt, mm-hmm. you're happy, you're sad. I tell people a lot on the show, like the best solution for that is to, in fact, run to the Lord. It's not to go, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to go read this book and I'm going to read that book. And then that can lead you down some pretty rocky paths yeah. in terms of navigating away from truth rather than the yeah. source of truth, which is God himself. And so you said, let your questions serve as a catalyst to throw yourself further into the arms of our heavenly father, rather than trying to formulate an equation to become quote, the perfect woman, recognize that we can only become the woman of God. We are called to by his grace. And I think that mm-hmm. summarizes your book up very nicely. Thank um, you. So boom. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. But we're not done because you have the book, which people can see. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. There we go. (laughs) This way. But you also have this fancy journal book combo. Does it come with a pen as well? Or is that just? Yes. And it's a really nice pen. It's like the kind that you can refill and save for the rest of your life. Um, and they're from Rifle Paper Company, which is a really, really wonderful company owned by um, Chris's friend from college. And she's a believer as well. Um, so you're supporting lots of good things. Yeah. Uh, but the book has a lot of journaling prompts in it. And originally, my intent was to have it be a journaling book. So there are some places in the book where you can journal, but there's not a ton of space. And so my recommendation is if you are a writer, um, if you like journaling, get the journaling bundle because... The book is really meant to be an encounter for you and the Lord. And so take your time, read it slowly, go through it slowly and just journal with the Lord. And if you don't want a fancy journal, you can just get your own journal at the Dollar Tree. You know, I don't care. But this is a great journaling bundle if you really like a nice journal and a really great pen. Yeah, that's really cool that it's uh, that it's refillable. That's yeah, legit. I was very excited about that. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited. Like I love to journal too. I wouldn't get that pen. I'm sorry, but yeah, Yeah, it's probably not. It's probably more for the ladies. Yeah. Maybe get it for my wife, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great move. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But that's awesome. Refillable. That's what's up. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So how can people get that? What's the best way for people to get that bundle, especially? Yeah. So the bundle is through restore7.org. But it's also linked on my website, so which is down at the bottom of the page, um, justicekeel.com. And so awesome. I'm, I have it linked if you would rather purchase it from Amazon or from Restore 7. Restore 7 is the only place you can get the bundle. If you want to get it on Kindle or Audible, that's obviously through Amazon. Um, I'm such an Audible person. I would probably never read if I didn't have Audible. So if yeah. you're like me, it is available on Audible. I'm reading it. There's a couple spots where the editing Something didn't happen right. And so I like little, little my yeah. yeah, we're going to be fixing that. But I'm sorry if you're listening to it and you hear those moments. They made me cringe. If that makes you feel any better. Okay. But I listening. will say, 
that the audiobook I actually didn't notice a lot of them because she is so well spoken okay. that it just kind of flows. And I actually thought it was my phone skipping for a second. I had to rewind it a couple times. I actually realize. thought the same thing. Yeah, I was like, oh my. <laughs> so it actually kind of sounds like that. Uh, so if you're listening to it, you might not even notice. So it's true. You might not. Yeah. Or they'll be gone by the time you do listen. Listen. So. God willing, they'll be gone. I'm going to yeah. be working on that soon. <laughs> yeah. So please, you guys buy this for yourself. Buy this for your daughters, your sisters. Uh, buy it for your mom, maybe. Maybe your mom's a yeah. uh, burning feminist. It's, it's you for know? women of all ages, all walks of life. I think no matter what, you'll get something out of it. I really want to get it into the hands of young women because I wish that I had this stuff in my hand when I was young, younger. And um, I will say, maybe this is unpopular. Maybe you really love this movie. But in the wake of the Barbie movie, I would say that <laughs> this is introducing some different concepts than were yeah. presented you know, I didn't anyways. see the Barbie movie, but um, I've heard some things. So yeah, yeah. So Lauren and I were like, we went and saw it because we were like, okay, I I want to judge. We want to judge for ourselves, and like very quickly, both of us were like, I mean, obviously, I was turning my nose up at it, but very very quickly, <laughs> she was like, this is ridiculous. Like she leaned over and she was like, this yeah. Is extreme. And there's some cute parts, and Ryan Gosling yeah. is fantastic in it, and all that stuff. But but not if you're looking for an alternative. To the Barbie Feminist movie, to feminine could then be great. <laughs> Feminist to Feminine is the perfect exactly. option for you or whoever else you think it applies to. So or any please, woman that you love in your life. Absolutely. So guys, as usual, link is in the description to purchase the book, but you can also visit justicekeel.com. I'm not going to spell it out for you because it is not phonetic. It is not how you think, especially those of you who are listening on Spotify. Just go to the description. And click the link that'll take you right to her website. Um, and then you can, it's easy to navigate there. You'll find uh, yeah. the, the book. So guys, please buy this, buy it for other people you know. Um, I think it's going to help a lot of people. And we want to show justice love. And we want to celebrate the victory with her and rejoice as she rejoices. Because it's biblical, yes. everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so justice, thank you so much. This is fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And we'll do another one soon because we got a lot yeah. more to talk about. So I'm down. Uh, yes. So everybody, that's our show. Tune in tomorrow. Thursday, we've got Krista J. Bollock. And I never know what we're going to talk about because that's how she rolls. So we show up. She shows up 10 minutes before and we go, okay, we're about ready to freestyle. And then we just, we, it always, and so it ends up, always ends up being a good that's time. Awesome. So yes, we just, we freestyle justice. That's what we do. So. Um, guys be blessed. Elijahstreams.com slash donate is how you donate. If this blessed you in any way, you're like, yeah, more of justice. Yeah. More of this type of stuff. We so appreciate those donations, you guys. And of course, other people are impacted because of your belief in this ministry, water wells across the world. So guys, we love you and we'll see you tomorrow at 2 PM Pacific time. 5 PM Eastern time with Krista J. Bullock. Okay, bye. This has been Elijah fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today. 